Slip Angle Show. Today we are in the Slip Angle Moto IQ Studios here in Gardena, California. Uh, I'm joined by Mike Kojima, and on the casting couch today is Mr. Bo Brown. What's going on, Bo? How's it going? Doing Good great, here. man. So I noticed that um, you strategically moved some of the lavish pillows, and you're sitting in a different <laughs> spot than most people sit. Yeah, the, the normal spot was a little worn in. It was kind of creating a, a little bit of a U-shape. I was sinking in a little too far. I didn't want to get too comfortable. So it was a so. comfort thing instead of a hygiene thing? Yeah, I haven't got to that point yet. I'm trying not to look. So oh, yeah, maybe mainly you a shouldn't. Thing, yeah. Although this is, yeah, it's a little too comfortable. I'm sinking down to the floor slowly. <laughs> <laughs> he did move the pillows, though, you noticed? Yeah, yeah, I slid him over. He's like, nope, don't need those pillows. We're good. We're good. So, so Bo, um, you know, we had Rathina Gomer on the show recently, and uh, you've done a little bit of work to her car, but obviously, um, you know, I was talking to our buddy Mark from Eibach as well, and uh, you're one of his track buddies. That's kind of where you guys had met. Right. So, it doesn't sound like you do the drift stuff as much uh, like what Rathina <laughs> does. Uh, you might be a little bit more more my speed with uh, with track stuff. Yeah, um, really just, I mean, amateur stuff, you know, track days, and I've done mm -hmm. a little bit of sort of amateur competition but no wheel to wheel I, I want to someday but i just don't have a car that i don't care about enough to, to get into that <laughs> and i'm not my skill set's not there yet so well, really um sorry oh i was interrupting you i don't even know why <laughs> i think mike sorry. mike was about to say that he has some some race cars for sale that you could do wheel uh, to wheel with <laughs> yeah i've thought about it a lot for sure something like honda challenge or spec e30 would be a lot yeah. of fun for so sure. what do you so, what do you have right now so the main car I've been tracking a lot lately, which I know everybody says this, but I did originally buy it as a daily, which is a car that I've wanted since I first saw one, was a, um, a E46 M3. Nice. So I've always wanted one of those. How long have you had that for? Blue. Um, almost oh, five God, years now. what's going on I don't know. There. I think we're thinking ahead Mark are throwing stuff around. <laughs> Tuning in live. So no, I think um, E46 M3 for me, that's still kind of like a bucket list car. I feel like for me, it's a great compromise between daily driver and track car i got a very nice one sitting right out there <laughs> that's in the too shop. that's too fancy man that's though, too yeah. fancy <laughs> yeah it's um so did you did cars, you buy yeah. a good one did you take your time and really shop around and buy like a, a nice example i it had to be luganistic blue as i mentioned it had okay. to be manual um, black interior or dove interior it was originally dove i, I changed it nice um, unfortunately with that nice work. With that color it's hard you can't yeah they're very rare with the black yeah, and yeah. I started getting a little antsy about getting one, and and I just found I found one for a really good price out in, in Houston. I don't know what it is about Houston. There's something about Texas in general, but Houston there's a kind well, there's of a there's weird, a lot like, of money there. There, there's a lot yeah, of money in Houston. There's a lot of oil money and tech money, as well as medical money as well. That's true. And really, yeah. you have to make a lot of money to live in Houston because there's no other reason to live in Houston. <laughs> Right. Sorry for anyone listening live for that lives in Houston, saying, yeah. but there's really no other reason to live there. Actually, when I was looking for my GT3, I was looking at a lot of cars out there, too. So there's like a whole cluster of cool cars yeah. in that area for sale. For yeah. cheap, too. They're always, they're always like 5 10% less than, than anywhere else, it seems like, for a good one. I don't know why. Yeah. And they're not. What's well, probably not when the air conditioning so. starts getting bad. Exactly. That's probably what it is. I, <laughs> right. I grew up in Houston, so okay. I yeah. can say these things. Right. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah I, I got a one-way ticket, flew out there and looked at it, and you know I'm not excellent at buying used cars, and there's a lot of things I found out later. You know, it definitely had some crash damage. It had been partially repainted and stuff that I should have noticed, but drove it all the way back, and for the most part didn't have any any issues. But uh, nice, what all's done to it now? 
Uh, quite a lot. Um, I wanted to keep it NA. I eventually, if I start stop tracking it more and I work on my other track car, which I'll talk about in a second, um, I might do a turbo setup on it, which is a lot of people would say, oh, that's crazy. Don't do that. But it, I kind of have a plan together of how to make it work and make it work for a road race car and, and Bo could zero do lag it. and all this stuff, really. But that's ways off. <laughs> but just mainly a lot of suspension stuff. Um, I wanted to kind of, what I was kind of going for was sort of like the GT3 kind of RS style, but just a budget version, you know, so it's got to have an interior and a radio, but sort of not, not fully good, but partially, but still trackable, the roll bar and all that. Nice. Um, so I've got uh, Motons on it. I've got kind of spherical bearings everywhere in the suspension and uh, pretty aggressive alignment and, you know, big old brakes. And That's really and all you need. Like yeah, it like, really is. Honestly, um, for, you know, for just a, a track day car, right. even like competing in Beamer Challenge or something like that, like you don't really need much more than that. It's true. Yeah. And of course, you know, with, with their, I've been doing a little bit of that and their point system is pretty good. So you can, for the most part, class any kind of car. There's a couple of cases, though, where I went a little silly and I, if I had built a car for Bimmer Challenge specifically, it would have been a little better. Like I have three-way motons, but I really don't need. Oh, them. that's a lot of points. You know, you know yeah, it's it's too many points. I mean, it's not, it doesn't make the car faster. If anything, it makes it slower initially because now you got an extra knob to figure out. That's so that's really a place easy. where it doesn't make sense to to do that. You know, but Mike's like, you don't have five-way adjustables, right? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's fun to learn for sure. So, so we didn't talk about actually why Bo's here. He like he's not just a track day dude, but He's the badass, um, like EE coder electronic stuff. Like he's the opposite of me. Like, you know, like I'm the mechanical engineer, but I hate electronics. I hate coding. I, I hate all that. And Bo is the kind of dude that makes me whole. <laughs> oh, that's nice to hear, Mike. <laughs> yeah, like he he thinks about. You know, like he lives in that world with ease that, like, I struggle to, uh, you know, like, I mean, I understand it, but I can't manipulate it. And it's one of my great frustrations that part of being a motorsports engineer is being able to, I mean, doing what you do, it gives you so much more flexibility as an engineer. Like, you know, I can use software, but I can't code. Right. And stuff like that. And, you know, like, I, I'm in awe of you, actually, because. You know, you're just so comfortable with that. And, uh, I mean, you can get a Motec M1 and redo the whole data architecture and make it do exactly what you want. And I go, gee, I wish I could even think of doing that. Like, yeah, maybe I can use Motec that you set up, but <laughs> you would have to set it up. And, you know, if I tried to do that, it would probably wouldn't even work anymore. I don't think you're talking me up a little bit too much, but, but thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I I love doing tuning. I've always been into computers since middle school. You know, I was always tinkering with electronics and just all kinds of stuff like that. So when I got into cars, it was just sort of the natural kind of combination of computers and cars just sort of made sense. But I'm definitely not a coder by, by trade. You just sort of have to learn what you need to do to get by to, to make it work. But, you know, I never went to school for that. You, you sort of I kind of just learned as I went, you know, and I said, okay, now I need to figure out how to do this because I, I need to make this work. Not because I, I got that background schooling initially. I sort of just got thrown into it, you know. But, but sometimes it's, sometimes learn, it's right? even better, right? Yeah. yeah, you do learn it quickly sometimes. But every once in a while, there'll be some really, really basic thing that somebody will talk to me about, and I'm like, I don't even know what that is because <laughs> I'm so hyper-focused in this one world of, you know, automotive electronics and stuff that somebody can be an actual coder that's doing software for 
you know, whatever it is, uh, PCs or something. And it's, it's just, just slightly different enough that I don't really fully understand it. So, okay. Um, now, what was the first experience you ever had with, you know, working with cars and computers together? Well, uh, my first car I actually bought that I still have um, is a second gen Eclipse GSX. So the all wheel drive turbo ones. And yep. Those. Is it green? No. Oh, man. <laughs> Come on. Some ridiculous. When I was in middle school, and I saw that movie. I wanted like orange or green. Oh, yeah. Crazy color. You know, I had have all these pictures saved of these cool cars. And luckily, I somewhat moved on since then. Of course, now they're bright blue. Cars, so. <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, those the guys that had those cars, what was interesting about it, sort of like the Miata crew and the FC RX-7 guys, that they like to do everything themselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because they're cheap, you know, but a lot of the guys are also kind of engineers or just tinkerers. They like messing around and, you know. Is Rathina calling me? I don't think so. I thought I heard I think her she's just talking. I think she's doing, she's doing some sort of video. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> In the background. But, yeah, they're, they're kind of DIY guys, you know, and it's yeah. hilarious now thinking back that there's a whole – section of the forums for quote unquote free mods or like going to home depot and like making splitters or like a boost controller from you know cutting this thing out to get more airflow i mean that's what those guys are about Mm -hmm. so when it came you know i I would just one mod at a time and when it came to needing to tune the car that was the option it wasn't back then there wasn't really a whole lot of guys going taking into tuners they're doing it themselves and they were sort of a step-by-step guide and i kind of just followed that and then you sort of well let me try something different let me do it my way and you just little tinkers a couple percent here and there and you know and you just sort of slowly expand and kind of grow your skill set i guess in your own car and i yeah. just didn't dare touch anybody else's it was just mine and then it was later a couple of years later it was like well you know i'll mess i'll tinker with your car you can buy me lunch you know come by bring it by and i'll mess with it a little bit and, and it was only those cars that i knew and that was all dsms yeah yeah because i knew how to make that pl- platform work and th- i didn't understand how to apply that knowledge to anything else yet and so that, you know, you kind of just take small steps. And I was just lucky enough to start uh, small and start simple. But if somebody was to jump into a modern, complicated engine with a standalone ECU, I mean, I just can't even imagine how you could ever figure that out. It's just it's too much all at once. Yeah. And you don't have a starting point. You know, you need to have something that's mostly done for you. You know, like with suspension, if you're trying to learn how to adjust knobs, it really helps if it's set up for you and somebody dials it in. And then you say, oh, wait, let me just try to mess with it a little bit and see what happens you know if it's way out in left field and you're trying to you know you're just going to be going backwards all yeah. day so it's sort of similar to that i think i mean i kind of feel like i could teach you um how to do what i do probably in a couple of days but you could never teach me what <laughs> to know what to do what you do i i think <laughs> No, I mean, it's anything like that. There's so much in the background. And, you know, if we started talking about suspension stuff, I mean, there's so many other things that you have to explain to me that in order to explain one concept, there's 10 more concepts behind it. You know, it's like that with anything, I think, right? That's why my wife said that (laughs) in social situations, you should just stay quiet. (laughs) (laughs) I usually do that, but not always by choice. So, you know, kind of the guy hiding behind the screen, the keyboard. So at what point did you start kind of branching out and start to work with, you know, other things besides DSMs? Sure. Um, so, yeah, kind of near, um, well, talk about AM in a second, but before I worked there, um, I started just make, messing a little bit with standalone ECs. A couple of friends had some, and luckily they had already been previously tuned before, so you kind of get to see what's there, and the car's already running. It's just, so let's just clean up this one map, or I change the part on it and want to rescale something. And so, again, it's it's starting from, you have a baseline to start from. You're just making small changes and learning the software, learning a new language. Um, and then... I kind of started getting a little bit more serious into it. I said, you know, I'm really enjoying this, and I 
don't know if I can make a career out of it, but I'd like to learn more and, and start trying to, you know, explore a career into this a little bit. And I uh, started just kind of reading online more and more about just sort of engine dynamics in general. I realized that I had learned how to how to tune one engine by following a very step-by-step -step process I had created for myself that I had sort of memorized. But that's not the same as an understanding really how an engine is wor working and what's going on inside. And, and you know, I, I have a very, very small grasp of this stuff. But you have to know a little bit about fluid dynamics and thermodynamics and all these concepts and stuff like that. And I think understanding that stuff is really important to being a good tuner um, because, again, you know, that step-by-step -step process only gets you so far. If you run into an issue or there's a new combination or something different, how do you approach it? Um, or even tuning for things like emissions. It's not all about making power and drivability. There's so many other concerns that a lot of people don't take into account and make an engine run clean and cold start and doing the different types of fuels and all this stuff. And I think having that kind of background knowledge has helped me a lot and sort of helped me be able to approach almost any situation and be able to, to make it work and figure it out. Right. Um, I know for myself that a lot of times if I work with a really good tuner together, we're able to get more power than if either one of us tried to do it on our own. Because I mean, I've found that a lot of times I know what the engine wants and what's going on inside the, in the engine, maybe a little bit more. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I've worked with some guys who've gotten really good results. So I, I think like sometimes, yeah, like experiencing one thing, if you, team up with somebody that uh, I guess has experience where you you suck that really you can work together and it really helps sure yeah, and actually I ran into that um, recently with a an engine builder that's building some um, I think there was like a 3.8 liter or so Porsche engine and it was a race engine and he had been tuning these things for many 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 deca decades a pretty famous uh, engine builder and a lot of the stuff they do you know distributed and stuff of course they're over time, they've gone from carburetors and mechanical to EFI and all this stuff. But he knows what those engines want. He knows all the specs of it. And I'm here approaching this like an, a clean slate. So I start super conservative. And I'm like really rich, really low timing and kind of easing into it. And he, he says, it's going to want 24 degrees of timing. You should just throw it in there because that's what it's going to want. So we don't just sit here all day. And I, that's not how I approach it. I don't want to blow this engine up. It's very expensive. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, but, you know, let me start a little bit lower and we'll work our way up to it. So I kind of still, I was being a little stubborn about it and kind of go up and up. And sure enough, in the end, we ended up at exactly 24, 24 degrees, exactly <laughs> whatever the AFR was that he said. And all the same numbers that made exactly the power it wants. And, you know, he's not a tuner at all. I mean, he will not touch uh, you know, an ECU. He won't do any of that. But he knew all the numbers just off the top of his head because he's hmm. been doing it so long. So yeah. that's a perfect example. I mean, could have saved us a lot of time and could have got that last little bit out if I had just sort of. Listen to them and started yeah. there. And then yeah, now but I mean, you're always if you don't have that experience yourself with it, you're always wanting to be a little bit more conservative because right. obviously if you're tuning something and it does blow up, you know, you kind of have an issue. Right. So right. I've told I've told tuners stuff like now we need a couple of degrees in the centrifugal advance part of the map and uh, the vacuum advance are detonating. So take some of the vacuum advance <laughs> part of the map out that I had to point it to them. And right, like, look at it. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> You're really old. This guy's over here speaking speaking Latin. But so it's kind of funny, I guess. Yeah. So no, I mean it's that's really really kind of like, at least for me, it's almost like the final frontier um for automotive stuff. That's probably one of the only things that I don't know a whole lot about is the tuning side of things. So kind of like similar to Mike, like 
you kind of know what the car wants, but the question is, how do you give the car what it wants? You know, with and it's all with tuning. Exactly. Yeah, and it's maybe that's one one good thing is why you know you can charge a little bit more than normal for it is because a lot of people see it as a, a dark art. You know, they yeah they don't understand it. It's just some kind of mystery, and they they kind of peek over your shoulder when you're in the computer and they see these crazy amounts of graphs and. I kind of just, wow, yeah. I don't even want to know what you're doing right now. Well, even now, like me, for motorcycle you know, stuff, I've been flashing tunes and stuff on my bikes, but I'm never, I never really want to change anything because I don't want to do any irreparable damage. <laughs> right, of course. So that's one thing that like I'm, I'm real, real afraid about actually. See, that's the nice thing though, is if you have that starting point again, you can make the small safe changes. You can do, you know, a little, you can literally do an hour of research and yeah. say, okay, I have, I know there's three things I can try. And if you happen to be on a dyno or some way to test it out, you know, or the track or something like that, you can make those, you, you go the, the safe way first, right? And you say, okay, now it's slower. So I know what not to do. <laughs> and then you kind of go the other direction, you know, it's just small steps. Yeah. Really, it's uh, always a safe way to go. And I think, I think I've always kind of been conservative in that way. Um, just kind of coming from a, you know, really a streetcar background and running engines on like a pump gas and stuff. And. And street tuning them. Yeah, you know, and, and exactly, exactly. <laughs> yep. A long time, way too many years of that. I was actually scared to use a dyno the first time. Oh, really? It's been so, so many years of, like, street tuning. What is this newfound contraption? Yeah, like, I don't know what to do. There's so many things going on. But you kind of you kind of get that mindset of being conservative and realizing the car this might be sitting in traffic with the AC on for two hours, and then the guy wants to step on it and launch the thing, you know, and it's all heat-soaked, and, and it's, you don't have these ideal conditions like you do in drag racing, so... I think in some ways it's maybe helped me, um, you know, not blow up engines and make engines last long races and stuff like that. But when it comes to a drag racer, when I've tuned drag race engines, it's it's completely different. And I had to force myself to do things the way I don't want to do them. Because, you know, I want to do multiple runs and work my way up into the power. And the guy's like, this engine doesn't have very many passes on it. Like, you can't do 40 runs on a dyno, you know, yeah. because it, the engine's designed <laughs> That's to the life cycle of the whole engine. times down the track, <laughs> yeah. and it's going to blow up. And yeah. he's saying it's going to blow up. It's not if you do something wrong, it will blow up <laughs> a 1,200 horsepower out of a four-cylinder engine or something. So you really have to kind of just go for it. And yeah. Just, you know, even if, if something goes south, you don't have the time to, like, let off because the thing revs up so quickly and the boost comes on so yeah. hard that, you, you know, it, but it's, it's, it's nice to have the understanding with the, with the customer that he, he knows that it, something could go wrong. Yeah. It's not necessarily your fault. And when I was working at Garrett, the thing that surprised me the most was that, you know, we were, we were providing turbos to a lot of the pro mod cars. Okay. And what was really surprising to me is that those things make so much power, you can't actually tune them on a dyno. You right. have to tune them in a drag strip just in like mess around with everything until you get the results that you want. Right, so, which is so crazy. Yeah, yeah. And that's like that's a really expensive motor <laughs> in whole package to be able to, to have to set it up that way. But that's what those guys do. Right, and luckily they've been doing it for so long. Yeah, like you guys are saying, you know, they know kind of the numbers are they supposed to be, and yeah, even if they're not the tuner, they sort of know you know where they're supposed to run, and they run these crazy exotic fuels that are a little bit more kind of forgiving, I guess, yeah. in some ways. But yeah, that's that's pretty wild. So. so you know, from your experience tuning things on like standalones, like Motex, you know, complete engine management systems versus, you know, cracking a, and using like a factory ECU to reflash, you know, are there pros and cons to, to each? Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it really is kind of on a case by case basis. You know, every, for the most part, every car has, has one or two kind of best options for it really. Um, 
more modern cars really need to be, for the most part, need to be um, factory EC with the reflash. They're just getting too complex. Right. There's just way um, too many channels of data going through there. Exactly. Yeah. And what's going on is, is systems are getting more and more integrated in the car and everything's CAN bus or even these like flex ray, which is a fast version of CAN, CAN bus even. And the, you know, the aftermarket ECUs can do it, but it becomes so expensive to reverse engineer all that stuff and you sometimes lose some of that functionality. So it really depends what you're using the car for, what kind of car it is. Um, and, uh, but yeah, the, 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 new, the new stuff with direct injection and these, all these advanced stability controls, something like a McLaren, mm -hmm. you, would, you could technically put a standalone on it, but you'd probably never do that unless you're getting so beyond what the car is designed to run at. The, 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 the factory you see are just so advanced. They're all torque-based, and you pretty much just tell it how much torque you want to make, and it, for the most part, it kind of takes care of really? a lot of the rest. It's really interesting in some cases. It's yeah. kind of cool. So um, in some ways, it's, it's getting a lot easier. Um, at least once you get into the ECU, you kind of break into it. Once you're in it, it's somewhat easier to tune Yeah. because it's, it's doing a lot for you in the background. I guess um, a lot of the factory sensors and stuff, it's like everything's factory wideband and like just the thresholds that they can read it's so much greater than it used to be exactly yeah Every, almost everything is closed loop you know closed loop used to be say just boost control or um and then they kind of introduced wideband like you were saying on, on modern factory cars now they're doing closed loop wideband but now it's closed loop boost control closed loop ignition timing the thing's constantly trying to get it to knock a little bit and their knock control is so advanced that it just right on the edge of detonation all the time to get the most efficiency out of the engine and that's hmm. to me that's that's amazing i love that kind of stuff i I really appreciate things that kind of take care of themselves, you know, if that makes sense. So even though I like to get the tune as close as I can, I'd, I'd like it to be monitoring it. You have to put limits on it, but yeah. I, I appreciate the, the ECs that are powerful enough to, to handle nope. those things on their own. And some of the newer cars that have like different driving modes and stuff like that, are you programming different or tuning different tunes for each of those driving modes as well? You can. Um, some guys have, uh, you know, things like Cobb and stuff like that, they've hacked into those. So the different driving modes you can use to change boost levels where on the factory car it would it would normally do that mm -hmm. so you can um but you know standalones can do that as well there's driver switches and right. things like that and you can kind of change on the fly um but i mean i think for a pure motorsport race car i think a big big advantage of a standalone is not necessarily the power really or the the tuning capability it's like the the data logging and the diagnostics that you can do and simplifying the car you might want to remove systems because you're trying to you know lighten the car up and Sometimes you might unplug something like the radio, and then suddenly the stability control doesn't work. These right. are things that just don't make any sense. Right. You know, and the standalone kind of takes care of a lot of that. You know, we had our uh, <coughs> our Fiesta ST <laughs> race car, right? And it stopped running, and uh, we unplugged the security system antenna, and that was which was screwing up the CAN bus. Just the antenna. Wow. Yeah, and we yeah. spent months trying to figure that out, and then uh, Mike Ferrara D Sport. You know, they, they were building a similar car, and he knew, like, we were having problems, and he called me up and said, hey, man, plug your security system antenna back in. Sure enough, the car started working. Wow. wow. Yeah, see, I can't even imagine. So It seems like an engineer somewhere messed up because, I mean, that's there, there should be no relation between those systems, but everything is so integrate, integrated now that... You have yeah, to be, like, a full complex. systems engineer now to, like, figure right. everything out. Or, or you know, like my my um, E46 with the S65 engine. I, I have to rip everything out and put a Motec because the thing started about four times, and then it just quit and never more to run again. 
man. And then no one could figure it out. And uh, we pissed off the CAN bus somehow. And, uh, you know, like we thought maybe it was a security system, but. You like know, an immobilizer or something. Yeah, yeah, but we're using the stock key and everything. And, I mean, it's like just dead. It just quit working. And then, uh, you know, nobody, not even my smartest reverse engineering friends, know, know what, what to do about it. So that's all going away and the Motex going in. And the DSC's going out, and, uh, um, and the Quaif is going in. Oh, boy, it's a slippery slope there. Yeah. Like. But, huh. you know, like right now, it's an expensive paperweight sitting there. Right. Well, It'll the get done it. one of these days. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't know, really pissed me off. <laughs> That's the thing about Canvas. You know, it's two two wires, and makes it really simple because everything's communicating in two wires but if you anything gets it gets upset the whole network just shuts down yeah. and nothing works and don't don't some of the newer cars have like fiber optics and stuff too um i'm not, not sure about fiber optics okay. but i know that they uh, like bmw uses flex ray in some of their cars and okay. it's similar to can bus but it's higher speed and, and yeah i haven't used it yet because you know it doesn't really exist in this in the standalone ecu world yet um it's very specific to only a few manufacturers but it's a similar concept where, again, the, the whole network just shuts down and, and nothing will communicate with anything, and the car essentially will almost not drive. I mean, the engine will run, but you know, the dash, everything just goes blank, and you just yeah. get every possible error message. You know, just one one wire Man. breaks or one little resistor somewhere dies. You know, and that's it. Well, and I, I hate like OEM tuning too, because when you when you're playing around the maps and stuff, it's not like commands; it's just suggestions. Right. And, and everything goes through this some wicked multivariable differential equation that's probably I looked at the Nissan one and it's like a hundred page book of, of math wow. for their Sophus algorithm. Right. And uh yeah, and somehow it spits out stuff and to me it's almost like the cars run worse. Like you run them on the dyno, the power's varying wildly and um the cars seem to run inconsistent and like drivability problems come and go. And it's almost like uh, the modeling is not good enough. Uh, yeah, it I've gets better all the that, time. Yeah. But Especially when you modify them and change parts on them and things like that. Yeah, it just goes out the window. And that's why most of the stuff that I do nowadays is with standalones. And, um, you know, each each kind of OEM ECU is completely different. The language, the software, everything is completely different about it. So you have to start from scratch and relearn almost everything you know not necessarily about tuning but sometimes but just about software languages and where all the tables are and all that where whereas if once you learn a standalone ec you can use it on almost any kind of car and it's right. just about the same you know well it's um, sort of my opinion like why some cars are known to blow up bone stock right because somewhere in that equation something's weird and no one's smart enough to figure out what it is even the guy that wrote the equation and <laughs> or it's written a certain way for emissions purposes and stuff like that, too. Or you never know with OEMs about yeah. what something, you know, we have the whole thing about weird suspension geometry that Japanese do because somebody got obsessed of control for controlling one thing and they ruined the rest of the geometry to have that one aspect of the geometry bitching. And uh, I mean, Mark, you've seen that probably. Yeah, Mark Kroon from uh, from iBox here. Yeah, actually, we. It's interesting uh, to see what you think would work, and uh, once you get into the the OE geometry, like why, why, yeah, why did why, it happen? Why did they do this? Like, why do Subarus have zero travel in the rear of the vehicle when you think it would be something that 
that you know or 350Zs or 350Zs <laughs> right so I mean yeah I get it you know better geometry in some places but you, you know this is going to piss me off but you know what I think the answer is for weird geometry what formula SAE <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of formula SAE engineers and yeah, OE like places formula SAE nerds get obsessed with controlling one aspect of the geometry and they don't have experience so they mess up everything else I mean I I'm not an engineer so I have no, I have no room to talk but I do know a lot of engineers and despite how much I love them at the same time uh, it can be it can be challenging to get you look a too thought. agreeable uh, it, it's it's uh it's tough to get the thought across because it really is sometimes a one-sided street until you prove the concept I mean all of these all of these companies have the same like they use a lot of the same motors and a lot of the same cars why don't they put a lot of the same suspension design in the cars like why isn't it shared well, like if I had my way, every car would have unequal length A-arm suspension, conventional geometry, and uh, reasonable motion ratios. Every car would handle badass. But instead, some Formula SAE guys that got hired <laughs> out of college, uh, they, they, they seem smarter than their bosses, so they get to run amok and come up with weird multi-link things. And, uh, and cars have weird handling issues, which... They might handle pretty cool when you have like the OEM tire and you don't deviate from anything at all. But uh, like once you start doing stuff, I mean, one of my pet peeves is like anti squat, like gobs of it, and anti dive in, in suspension geometry. Like, what were you thinking? Well, notice how on a Formula SAE team, there's usually like 15 to 25 people, but only two of them are actually drivers. And, and <laughs> usually, like Formula SAE, their plumbing and wiring is horrible, and that's what causes a lot of problems. But then, guy, we're like hijacking this whole interview, <laughs> so we better, I better quit making fun of Formula like this, SAE people. There's, there's a lot of Formula SAE listeners, I'm sure. Yeah, and <laughs> I, some of the most violent arguments I've ever had has been with Formula SAE kids, and it's like, oh my god, that car you designed. It has a spherical and single shear. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, you read Carol Smith's thing. Guess what? He's dead. It's like that was written in the 1970s. <laughs> Actually, that was really disrespectful. That was. Uh, it, it's, it's important. That's important reading for people. Yeah, Carol Smith was a really smart dude. but he, Not to discredit him. Yeah, not to discredit him, but he hated single shear. And he was a Formula SAE judge. And. If any university had anything in single shear, they would get severely docked. <laughs> well, see, at least you understand, you know, why why double shear is important. And but once you understand that, you can know when you can use something in single single shear, for instance, right? You just have to you, design you it, it to safe. be in single shear, right? But you have to understand that, like the basic concepts, kind of first, right? Might so not be efficient, but sometimes <laughs> that's the only way of a package or something, right? Speaking of uh, packages, uh, I'm Asian, I think, <laughs> so mine's not too impressive. <laughs> I think another thing that that we're kind of uh, not to beat up on Formula SAE guys because because I I I do appreciate what they bring to the table, but uh, cost packages are a big part of why um, OEs 
do what they do. Do what they do. And I think what what we saw some of the worst geometry on was right before, you know, the, the mid 2000s, right? So right when things were getting tough and scary and not wanting to spend money on real development and packaging issues like I like what iBeam stuff and all that, like just make it as cheap as possible. Like my wonderful Sentra race car, <laughs> which has the worst front suspension geometry of anything ever made besides a wheelbarrow. Maybe wheelbarrows are better because nothing moves. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's a lot of vehicles out there that f- fell under that, but nowadays people are, or manufacturers aren't as scared to do new things like uh we've been really focused on the off-road market lately and seen a lot of fancy new stuff on these utvs like the whole utv program we have uh active dampers from you know bosch and uh you know fox is working on their own stuff and there's there's i'm sure bo will be tuning this stuff sometime soon uh but you know all of these all of these vehicles have these super smart suspension systems that react to everything like immediately. So sampling like millions of times, thousands of times a second or whatever. But, uh, you know, they're not afraid to spend that money in development right now, but who knows what's, you know, we're due. We're overdue. Maybe, maybe I should go into electronic suspension tuning and then you can just send people maps and sell them over the internet. Like, Hey, here's the tune for, Dude, there Bo, yeah. Bo just raised his eyebrow yeah. like, wait, wait, wait. wait. There's, I'm trying to think of just some liability issues there, but I guess uh, it's not ABS. It's so. for off-road use only. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Track got, use yeah, only. That, works, that covers everything. we got to right? bend this back around to Bo, because now we're turning it into general. Yeah, have you, ha- <laughs> have you hacked a uh, suspension ECU yet? I have not. No. I'm, that's kind of the next thing I really want to get into is like is suspension and chassis tuning stuff. So back in 2013, I actually had a set of... There were like Porsche Boxster Spider Bilsteins that were like Damptronics. And the guy, so there's a company called TPC Racing, Mike Levitas, and they actually sell like an active control module for the Porsches. You pull out the controller, you pop it in, and in the different modes, it turns the suspension, those Bilsteins, into like active suspension. And the guy that actually tuned all of that actually had an FRS and had modified it for the FRS and was looking for people to test them out. And so I happened to be that tester. And the thing was awesome. Like, I actually have, like, a computer program on my computer where you can tune the suspension based on a G-force circle. So, like, it took a little while to wire in because it, like, wired into the yaw, like the, um, the yaw sensor, string angle sensor, a bunch of different things. But you could have it real soft going down the freeway. And then as soon as you turn it into a corner, it would stiffen up the outside, maybe soften the inside a little bit for compliance. And it was freaking awesome. And he was pretty much going like, yeah, man, like if we start doing this a lot, you could essentially see it to where like you have a tune of your suspension for Road Atlanta. You can send it to your buddy who has the same suspension. He can run that same tune. Oh, so it'd like be a lot of fun to play with. Yeah, it was huh. it was one of the coolest things that I've ever had, I think, on a car. It was very short-lived because I blew the car up pretty quickly right after that. But it is um, a Subaru. Yeah, but it was it was really really cool. I'm getting everybody angry on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's kind of cool about that is that there's almost no really compromises, right? It's sort of designed to sort of cover almost any situation. Yeah. To, to and the point. the switch that he had it had five different five different maps that you could toggle yeah. through. So it was really it was cool. It was like oh this is my R comp map for the track. This <laughs> is my street tire like map for the track. 
here's just my street map. Here's my canyon map. Like it was really, it's really kind of cool. You're and you could just sit there and tweak it. Rathina's wow. interest. Like uh, she's probably thinking, what if they have a hell of flush? Yeah, I can run a even lower if I had active dampers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could you could run it really low as long as you like had the correct shock package or had it mount. You could almost have it like mount through the actual shock, so you could continue more travel. I don't know how the hell that would work, but. No, I don't know. Nope. No, you could do no, it. You could no, do no, it. Work. Yeah, you could just you, like machine the piston out with a little groove in it in the center where the bolt could go through. Hell yeah! No, a telescoping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you totally rod. do it, yeah, man. Sure, that totally works. do it. Yeah, so, sounds strong. I'm an yeah, <laughs> trust me, I'm yeah. an engineer. <laughs> we should get those formulas so you guys to do it. That's right. I have a T-shirt that says I'm an engineer. That counts, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think the limiting factor on that stuff is really just the the physical the the product itself. Like, yeah. uh, you know, we're talking how, about packages again. <laughs> that's, yeah, right. Sorry. Uh, just yeah, limited by the valving in it, right? So like, we took apart. Well, we took a new Civic Type R damper and put it on. Uh, put it on a shock dyno, yeah. and and uh, put a resistor on there and figured out how much the damping curve changes uh, per resistance and it's pretty amazing those shocks right out of the box are like they'll hold a lot of rate the car's pretty awesome from the factory like yeah they're, they're, i turned a, a factory like just a stock one and took it up to malibu and was very impressed yeah very impressed well you know like me and daiyoshi hara had one at buttonwell and i drove it and i came back in i go die this sounds weird but i don't think there's anything wrong with this car at all and then <laughs> He took it out and he came back and goes, "Wow, I couldn't find any flaw with the car's dynamics." Yeah, no, like I so I toured it with two other buddies that have owned S two thousands for a long time too, and we drove it up in the canyons and we were we were all impressed. Like the car to us has no right to be as good as it is. It's just ridiculous. That that might have been maybe one of the best cars, stock cars I've ever driven. Yeah. I mean, not the fastest or not the most G's generated, but the overall, like, balance and mm -hmm. feel and all that. But even, like, in, like, third and fourth gear, the thing's got some balls. It was really surprising. First and second, I feel like first and second gear are kind of long in it, but, like, third and fourth, once you get the thing moving, it's got some power. Putting down some serious times at the track, too. Yeah. There's a few mods. It's yeah, amazing. like, Will, yeah. Will Willem I bought the wrong did, car, like, a 156 something. Yeah. Just I mean, with brake pads and wheels and tires. They like, were street tires, RE71Rs. Like, if you want to run an enthusiast front wheel drive, I mean, if you don't have one of those, you might as well just stay home nowadays. It's, ac it's right. accurate. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah, it doesn't take much. I mean, Dai did what, 158 on uh, a rear sway bar and the Eibach lowering springs, and, and you had set up. We were limited by there were no other really parts available. Yeah, so you I just set up did the, the alignment as best I could with stock stuff. Oh man, the front alignment on those it's it's a travesty that you can't actually get any camber out of the front of that without changing it onto a coilover because the the spring bucket's just so big and up against the oh you can't move. No, we no we looked at doing a uh, what do you call it. Um, camber adjuster adjustment plates but you could get literally max like one yeah, like makes it even worse yeah not yeah we just yeah. loosened all the bolts shoved everything over and then gave it some toe out yeah that's all you can really do with the factory damper because so. you can make stuff at the bottom that pushes the bottom out no nope. no work. won't Thought work about that if ah. you look if you look at how the geometry is on that it's like it's impossible won't do it that. nope 
But that that car has very cool suspension geometry. Like the um kingpin inclination and stuff is like independent of the angle of the strut and all that. So uh you can get that scrub perfect on that car and, and that's one of the reasons why it has very little torque steer and all that. Hmm. It's, it's I think it's like innovative and really cool the front suspension. Have you tuned one of those, Paul? I haven't yet. No. no. Okay. Um, yeah, I've I've tuned some of the the non-type R Civics, the newer ones, the turbo ones. And Even those make some impressive power. Yeah, and the engines are, are really strong. I mean, the little one point five liters. It's amazing what those things have been taking. And um, but again, you know, it's, it's similar to tuning the Type R uh, somewhat. But again, it's it's what we were talking about earlier. They're kind of closed loop, so you're really just turning up the boost and. And um, the ones I've seen, you can't even mess with the variable valve timing. That stuff really? hasn't been discovered yet. Okay. I mean, it's, it's in it's there. It's there, but they just haven't. Not, they yeah. haven't been, um, you just need a VAFC. <laughs> there you go. That's, all you <laughs> That's the answer for everything. VAFC, yeah. yeah. And a little Palm Pilot logger. That's where <laughs> exactly. I started off. Yeah. So that'd be a really interesting like article or video series. It's like tuning the same car, the same setup on all the different, all the different like tuning types available throughout the years. So right. like throw a VAFC in and try and max it out and then like oh, one car, tune yeah, yeah. I mean, and then like tune the factory ECU yeah. tuning yeah and a Palm Pilot and a yeah or even yeah. before VAFC. that where you have the all the little boxes oh right. the fi- there was a fields it, the, the fields VTEC controller all the HPS and, and, and then the uh, the boost thing. dependent regulator. <laughs> I remember okay. Dave Busher he used to go real fast with those things that, that's right up the street from. Well, I'm from Cincinnati, so it's like right up the street. Man, what happened to turbo timers? No one runs turbo timers anymore. I ran that just for because <laughs> it was cool. I have one on my Evo. Oh, yeah? Because, I don't know, an advertiser gave it to us, and I had to. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle, yes. You know, the only t- I used to have a turbo timer. The only time I used it was when I pulled my car out of the garage. I realized I forgot something in the house. I don't like shutting my car off and restarting. And you needed the keys. Just because I'm thinking of, you know, all the Mechanical sympathy. Yep. Yeah, so I yep. set the turbo timer. I'd run in, unlock the door, grab whatever it was, run back in the car. It's still running. That was literally the only only purpose that I used, I think. Bo <laughs> won't restart his car, but Rathena, like, does horrible things to hers. <laughs> and the turbo timer, like, that was, like, the shit when you'd go to car meets. Wasn't your car naturally like, aspirated? No, my, my first... My first <laughs> oh, no, she doesn't have a mic. <laughs> Got to sit over there. No, my first, my first SRS thirteen. Yeah, I had one of those that I blew up three times. True story. But um, that one I had a turbo timer on it. So when you go to car meets, and you can turn off the car and walk away, but it's still it's running. Like, hey man, you left your you left your car and on. And you're like, no 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 no, give it a second. It's still running, and you forgot to turn your fan on. Yeah, yeah. So uh, no, it was more of like. You just got cool points for the for that. Nobody actually knew what it was for. Do you guys ever like tune and build things for cool points? Any of you guys? Do I? I don't like, like do stuff on your car for cool points. Uh, I don't know. I mean, people I, I, ask me for like burble. They want their cars to like backfire and stuff. Does that count? Oh, I feel like that circles. totally counts. I, uh, yeah, I mean, that should um, immediately classify you. The end, pretty much the end of any tuning session. Is that, you got to do the two steps. Yeah. Is that like the, the perf- that, is that like the performance like, guy version of rolling coal? 
Pretty much. I kind of feel like it is. I've seen intercoolers and blow-off valves on naturally aspirated cars before at car shows. Do you remember front mount intake systems? The yeah. <laughs> do you remember do you remember the blow-off valve speaker? Anytime you would push the yeah. clutch in, you yeah, put we, a switch we, in there and it, wow, where was I? I never had this. We, we tested one at Sport Compact car. <laughs> I had a little app on my phone that did it. It's kind of like the little accelerometer in there is pretty fun, especially when you put on an actual turbo car. Je- Jeff, yeah. double double. are you leaving, Jeff? Yes, I am. Uh, like, I don't have the key to lock this place up. Maybe yeah, seriously. Take my keys away. I came from the track. <laughs> so, uh, back to turbo tuning and DSM stuff, right? You, right. That's like where you come from, right? Kind of, yeah. Where are you do from? We, Turbo we, do we not want to talk about that? No, it is. It is I, I still have that car. Go oh, fast. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Finishing I, it one day. You, met, you mentioned it in conversation once and then uh, never really talked more right. about it. But it, Probably one of the, like, the very few. I mean, there's, there's slightly more than it used to be. The very few people that are not like drag racing that car. Pretty much everybody that was in the DSM just took it drag racing. And it was because you can make a lot of power with the engine for cheap and all wheel drive. And you just put whatever tires on it doesn't even matter because it's all-wheel drive and it just hooks up and it just goes fast and it was kind of the like the foreign muscle car back in the 90s and 2000s but remember go go fast with class that's all the dsm guys used to say and then the (laughs) honda guys used to disassemble their cars and put plastic all over everything and duct tape oh yeah speed holes and stuff yeah speed holes yeah my my uh, auto shop teacher when i was in high school actually had a plymouth laser Oh boy. Yeah, yeah, Plymouth Laser, like whatever was it the no, it was the Talon, the TSI. That's like so the, the all-wheel yeah, drive. Yeah, earlier yeah, the first yeah, gen. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Nothing says Talon like a mid-wing. I know. Man. Know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping to finish it for. I mean, I've been saying this for years, but I, I want to drive that car on time attack, and I I want to just I don't know. I want to see what it can do, and it's just one of those. I, I think it's funny. I kind of enjoy how many people just tell me that it's not going to work, and maybe it won't. But Shoot, I mean, Andrew it, it work. Yeah, Andrew like, Brilliant's got a crazy one. Right. Well, I mean, his yeah, is a convertible too, isn't it? Broken a lot, but yeah, I think Andrew's is a convertible. Yeah. It is. Sorry, yeah. a spider. My spider, bad. Right. My y, bad. Have the Y and the spider too. <laughs> but it's kind of like those cars are the funny. Oh. The second gen, it's sort of equivalent, I think, in some ways to like the Subaru GC, where mm-hmm. it's a lightweight two door version of you know a four door kind of rally car like it's like a baby evo two door and just like the gc has like a spaghetti chassis you know but that's fixable or you can put a cage in it you can put these braces in it and stuff and it actually has like sort of double wishbone suspension whereas the evo has mcpherson's is kind of like some advantages to it they're pretty light so i don't know i I think that it can work i think it can go fast i've actually been talking to to one of my friends and we've been trying to figure out like what would be a good car to buy to put on bring a trailer and I think yeah. a really clean DSM would Which probably do... That doesn't exist, though. I mean, uh, there's a few. He sent me one, really? okay. although it was an automatic, so but it had like 13,000 miles on it. It was like wow. eight grand just that at some dealership crazy. in Ohio yeah. or something. They all have like two, three hundred thousand. Yeah. Like you don't... Like I figured engines, out know. here with the climate being better and everything, you'd still see... Like you'd see a lot of them. Then I moved out here and like they're, you don't see them ever. They used to be ever. all over the place, right. too. Yeah, Where'd like, you don't see any <laughs> yeah. of them. Yeah, like, did they just care about them anymore, self-destruct? You know? Evo came out, and I, <laughs> I think mean, those guys all got Evos. Everyone <laughs> I knew who had one was, like, at Home Depot getting boost, con- or, like, making a exactly. boost, some sort of boost <laughs> control. Out of aquarium valves. Yeah, because yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Dave Busher did it that way. <laughs> it works, yeah. It's, it's hilarious, but, yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I remember when back in the day we used to drive around looking for DSM guys on the Friday night because there were so many of them, and you couldn't pull up next to a DSM guy and have him not try to race you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what were you driving? Five hundred horsepower turbo Sentra. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, like no one would suspect that, right? Yeah, most of the Sentras where I was <laughs> were just lowered with like underglow lights and crushed velvet interiors. Pet boys Thanks exhaust. For, yeah, it was a little different back <laughs> back east. Very proud of that VDL though. All those guys. <laughs> I, I don't know, like who would. Like now, nowadays, I think that that was a stupid car. Like it's a Sentra; it's worth like five hundred bucks or something. And you have like a five hundred horsepower engine, and the drivability is really poor because you have some really big turbos, so it has turbo lag up to about forty five hundred RPM. And then See, that's one of those cars that'd be really fine to f- fun to find like a really really rough looking one, and then drop a five hundred horsepower motor in it and just go. Just go embarrass people. Like hubcaps and, and stuff. 500 yeah, was yeah. a lot for back then. <laughs> 500 for a Sentra is a lot now, right now. <laughs> but I I used to have a dog box. Oh, man. <laughs> drive it around the street like a big idiot. It's <laughs> a life goal is to street drive a dog box. <laughs> just because it's just so silly. With all this horrible weird. turbo lag. It was like just awful. But I don't know. I used to go around looking for five liter Mustangs and... Um, and DSMs, because the Mustangs are always good for wanting to race you, too. And right. I don't know. Really stupid. I'm not too proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> we all had to start somewhere. Right? We've all done it. <laughs> so, well, what, uh, what sort of things are you working on now? Um, yeah, I work, I work for a company that uh, restores Porsches. I won't mention the name, but uh, store kind of high-end restorations on Porsches and stuff. And it's a very, very high-end engine, so requires um, very, very particular and very picky tuning, which is really what I like. I like kind of chasing those last little halves of a per- percent here and there. And and uh, actually, something I did a little bit of today is, is emissions tuning for those same cars. So hmm. That's um, been a whole another world to tuning. You know, it's kind of start with making a lot of power, and then you kind of start making it drive nicely, and then start up well when it's cold, sort of those things. And then I feel like one of the more final things that you kind of get to work on is making it also be clean you know so this is like a huge cam huge bore engine with a hemispherical chamber it's just a perfect recipe for horrible efficiency it just doesn't do anything but make power so trying to get that to pass an emissions test especially in california has been a real challenge but it's been a lot of fun i've learned so much just about that specific thing you know emissions tuning so yeah i'm working a lot on that and, and trying to get compliance in different countries and okay on an engine that is Essentially, by every metric, a race engine. You know, Plus, it's air cooled too. So, cooled, yeah. It's just everything's wrong. It's you know, all the emission stuff is. Motor's not even in the right place, man. Exactly. Oh yeah, don't even get me started with, <laughs> with yeah, the 911 old 911 handling. So, coming from driving something like a, an E46, a front engine rear wheel drive car, where you can kind of do whatever you want mid corner and it'll 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 work out. Those things, you, anything you do is wrong. You know what? You let off the gas, you don't do that. You can't get on the gas. You just have to drive the thing like a hooligan and hold on and just, yeah. That's what makes them so endearing, though, man. <sighs> yeah, but it's just not. I don't know. Maybe I mean, it might kill you style, at any but, given moment, but right. <laughs> I don't know. I just I don't have I don't have that skill set no. to be able to drive those things fast. But they're 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 fun in different ways. You know, they're really really interesting. But you're right. It's it's all the wrong things and trying to make all the wrong things work 
and really, really well to a level that somebody would expect for the price that these things cost is, is, is fun. So yeah, just because it's so much work, really. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll have to come visit you at said, said shop sometime. Yeah. Love <laughs> to have you. <laughs> show you around a little bit yeah i was actually a, a consultant for said shop then i redid some of the front end geometry a little bit oh yeah yeah and does the said shop ever take these things out to the track or is it dependent on the customer some of the guys yeah drive the piss out of them which is awesome that's you know? good to see a lot of them also just sit which i can understand both sides of it you know i mean sure. they, i've they, seen a few of them up on the crest yeah, that is a. Yeah. I don't know if that's oh, just like a, a a little like tuning uh, tuning ground for. May or may not have been there today. And, and nice. Them, yeah. <laughs> I've, seen a few, I've seen a few at Cars and Coffee. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know the guys you got to remember the guys that own these kind of cars. It's not their second or third or fourth or fifth car. It's their thirtieth car usually. Right. So they might not even get to drive it. They almost, it's not that they're going to forget, but it's like they have so many other things to drive, you know and. And you always think, well, maybe he should have specced it more like a race car. And why did he get these, you know, like the kind of a more touring style seats versus like a track seat? Well, it's because the guy's already got a track car. He's got three of them and he's got a GT3 RS and he's, you know, he's got all like a old 2002 turbo or whatever it is. He's got all these other kind of cool things. So he doesn't need that one to be crazy. Yeah. But, you know, but all those other ones, if you have enough money, you can just go and get. Exactly. So for some of the, the ones coming out of the shop that you work for, um, it's a little, little bit more unique, right? It's something a little bit different, you know. Yeah, and a lot different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying try to get something you know that you could take out to dinner, you know, and it, it's quiet and comfortable, and it's got a radio and all that. But you could also take it to the track. You know? I mean, I'm pretty sure I'd be okay with one as my only car. That's that I, think was I could make the, that work. That was the whole thing about the 911 originally, is that it's supposed to be your one car. Yep. Right? You know, you can kind of put a half of a person in the back, but you can kind of put people <laughs> back there groceries you know and it's supposed to be reliable and take it to the track and kind of do a little bit of everything with it so it does it does serve a good purpose i think for doing that maybe the the gt3s and stuff you know obviously that's more track focused but a base 911 i think could be your only car oh yeah one which is really cool i think so especially with how they look i mean they look they're, they are big. The new ones are big, but they look small. They have yeah. that, that sports car look to them. But and honestly, the new the one, side, so. even just like the regular Carrera, you know, right. with a with a reflash, you can make some pretty pretty serious power out of them. Yeah, they're pretty quick and they they handle pretty well. I mean, they've been working that one recipe for so long. Yeah, right? so that's what everybody says, and it's it's kind of true. So they've it's taken a lot of a lot of tweaks and chassis stuff and electronics to to make that kind of backwards you know idea work but it, it sort of does work yeah I think. so i think that's when you step back and look at the the older cars you say wow they've come a long way <laughs> you know it's, it has what people call character but i think character is not always a, a good a good attribute it depends who you ask i guess but yeah you know. no i mean that's kind of the way like some old motorcycles and stuff have character it's it's never right i don't think character is always desired it can be appreciated but i don't think people are out specifically to engineer character into vehicles right. it just kind of happens character isn't this thing can kill you at any second but they call <laughs> yeah. it character you know? yeah so I, guess it... I was in germany last year so i was at the porsche museum and they had the first porsche I ever made and it was a uh, horse-drawn cart wow. I'm, I'm not joking either <laughs> from like I don't know, like the turn of the century or something. Is the that the one where the cart? Yeah, the horse was in the back. Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> no, but I, actually, that was a joke. But the, oh, sorry, I I've seen I've phone. seen it on I've seen it on on Facebook. So, oh yeah, we go. All the, the The guide was talking about this being the first Porsche. Then we go. So did the horse go in the back? <laughs> and he just he just stared at us. <laughs> be a lot he, less smelly though, I think. You know, in some ways the ger- the Germans don't always have the best sense of humor. No, so we weren't sure if. You know, like he's he was asked that a whole bunch of times, or or if we offended him, or <laughs> it, it didn't go over very well. You tell him you're just horsing around. Oh wow! Yeah, that's good. Oh man! Oh boy! So bad. Sorry. It's been yeah. We've done two shows tonight, and I've hardly made a single single bad pun until now. We can just have a pun show. Oh, we've we've had them before. We've had just pun shows. We should have the Mike and Rathina innuendo show. <laughs> oh, yeah, that come up with a better name days. than that, though. Come on. <laughs> so, Bo, if people want to uh, to contact you or follow you on social, uh, what's the best place for them to do that? Sure. Um, I post everything pretty much on uh, BBR Tuning on Instagram. Okay. So it's BBR as in Bo Brown, first and last name, Tuning. What's the R for? Um, just BR, like Brown? Kind of a, kind of a long story. Instead of BB Tuning? It's pretty silly, but, yeah, now I just say it's just... Bo, you know, B, and then B R is in brown, but okay, there's a little bit more DSM kind of background stuff to oh, it, yeah? the BBR part of it. But okay, it's called BBR tuning. It's keep it simple. So. Nice, yeah, cool. Well, really, uh, really appreciate you coming in, and uh, look forward to uh, to speaking with you again in the future. And maybe Mike and I will have to take a, a visit up to uh, where you work one day. That'll be awesome. Thanks for having me. It's yeah. fun. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for coming. And uh, Mark. Um, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon on a show, hopefully. Yeah, I'll be around. <laughs> All right. See you guys. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the pits at a grid live to say hello. Hello.